Thanks for checking out the Lakeshore Podcast. If this is your first time listening with us, we want you to know God loves you. We want for your hope in Jesus to be renewed and for your faith to come to life. Wherever you are joining us from, we hope this message encourages you. It's kind of an appetizer to get you ready for the study. Um, I was here last week and, uh, and I said, we're going to do kind of a little mini series, like a two part thing. And so we talked about last week, the big theme was that God wants us to be more than conquerors. And we know that scripture and we love that scripture. We just don't know if it, is it real or is it just kind of like, yeah, sometimes it works out that way, or I'm supposed to just feel like I'm more than a conqueror, but, but maybe not actually be more than a conqueror. I'm kind of only, you know, a survivor, but this says I'm a champion. I'm more than a conqueror. And last week we looked at the fact that No, when the Bible says you're more than a conqueror, that God has every intention, even in the last days, even in the last of the last of the last days, when things get super crazy and super dark and super dangerous, God has a plan and God has already set up this this plan and these purposes, these promises that you can, can continue to win all the way through the end of the last days until Jesus comes back. And, and last week, we, we talked about the, the, the fact that God actually pays you to win. And, and we're not talking about, well, yeah, it's spiritual blessings, and th- those are great, and those are true, and those are going to be awesome, uh, especially when we get to heaven. But I mean, God actually pays you to win. He actually gives measurable blessings and rewards if you'll follow and trust him, because his plan, being a more than conqueror, is that measurable. It's that substantial. But not only does he pay you to win, God promises he'll he'll reimburse you for any of the costs, any of the suffering, any of the discipline, any of the sacrifice that you've gone through to do it God's way. God's keeping track and not only will he give you the reward or the literal paycheck at the end of this and help you to become more than than a conqueror, but he'll reimburse everything it costs you in, in the meantime. You can look at the podcast last week. We studied that. That's from scripture. I'm not making that stuff up. But today I want you to go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Because where last week we studied from Romans chapter 8 that says that you're more than a conqueror. And then we went over to Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 that talks about that God rewards those who stays with him, diligently seeks him. And that word reward is both a paycheck and a reimbursement um, and that God literally does that, that's, that's in Romans and the book of Hebrews. Both of these, by scholars' uh, uh, measurements, are rich in details of doctrine and in details of insight and understanding about how we live our spiritual life. But today I want to go back to the book of 2 Thessalonians because First and Second Thessalonians were believed by scholars to be the first two New Testament books that were ever written. And so these are early, early uh, letters that, that the Apostle Paul's writing. And what we're going to find in 2 Thessalonians is kind of the down-to-earth practical things that you need to have a strategy that will turn you into a more than conquer. I mean, maybe right now you're kind of the scaredy cat or you're super insecure or you're just like super cautious and you want to be someone who can take an adventure with God. But this is the strategy that will turn you into being a very focused, 
more than conquer according to the word of God. But here's the neat thing when you see it in 2 Thessalonians, that God, we get to see how the Holy Spirit was weaving it into the Apostle Paul at the ground, the grassroots level, kind of the fundamentals. He's learning this from such a practical thing. And it would be another six years before he would write the book of Romans, talking about we're more than conquerors and all this wonderful doctrinal insight. And another 20 years before the book of Hebrews was written, whoever wrote that. And so a lot of scholars think it was the Apostle Paul, some think it was Barnabas, and some have other uh, authors that they pose there. But whoever wrote that, we're talking about now 20 years and six years before that, Paul's just understanding this stuff from the Holy Spirit. So we're going to read a bunch of verses, and we're just going to read them through straight from the Word of God. And then we're going to back up, and I'm going to show you three very practical uh, steps that every single one of us need to be watching in our life, and, and anybody can do this. If you got saved yesterday, if you're not even saved yet, and you just came because someone invited you, and you're still thinking about this whole Jesus thing, um, anybody can do this. You don't have to be a scholar. You don't have to be a pastor. You don't have to be a you know, great Christian. These are the building blocks that will turn you into a more than conqueror and show you how to do exactly what the Bible is saying so you can get paid to win and reimbursed for all the trouble that it takes, the discipline that it takes to get you there. All right? So let me, I'm going to start in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1, and uh, we're going to read down to verse 5, and then I'm going to skip to verse 13 because uh, we're trying to be very focused in what we're looking at this morning. All right, you still with me? You're not... One person, me and Kent. All right, Kent, I'm going to come over here. You and I are going to have a Bible. Everybody with me? You're not sleeping, right? You can't sleep. This, I'm telling you, this is really important. This stuff works. So listen to this. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you. And that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men for not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful, and he will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing and will do the things that we commanded. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. We're fast forwarding verse 13. And as for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in the letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with them. That he may be ashamed, verse 14, do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. So let me back up and give you a little more background on the books of First and Second Thessalonians and why Paul wrote these, because they apply to us today. Paul wrote them because at the time, very much like... Uh, we're going through today, the New Testament church had been birthed, and we're about 60 years now into the future. So the New Testament church has been around for 60 years, and all the apostles are busy, and people are getting saved, and, and in their connect groups, and they're growing, and they're learning how to live for God. But the church in Thessalonica was going through three dynamics all at the same time. They were kind of all crowding in and just crunching into their life. And here's what they were. The first thing that was happening, the culture was changing. And with it, some of the government was changing, and they were suffering increasing persecution and hardship. 
There was a cancel culture happening way back then. And if you believed in Jesus and were trying to walk by the principles and the truths of the word of God, then you were excluded from certain privileges and opportunities. And not only that, you were ridiculed in the public square and in your own little circles. And they were having to wrestle through and deal with all that. The second thing is... The New Testament uh, and the book of Acts, when the Holy Spirit came and the New Testament church was birthed, that according to the word of God literally started the clock in what we know as the last days. So they were in the last days and they were about 60 years removed. And as far as they were concerned, Jesus was coming really soon. Because when the New Testament church was birthed, they thought when the Holy Spirit came, he was going to baptize them with power. A whole bunch of people were going to get saved and Jesus was going to come like the next day. Because Jesus said, pay attention because I'm going to come quick. Well, they thought quick meant quick. And so here they are, they're suffering persecution. They're watching the culture twist. They're watching themselves get canceled and pushed out of opportunities. Businesses are closing. Families are being torn apart. And in the middle of that, they, they really have this intense awareness. Wow, it's getting really bad. Jesus is coming like really soon. So that puts them in this interesting position, right? They can feel on, on one hand, the culture's pulling them to compromise. On the other hand, Jesus is coming soon. We don't want to compromise because we don't want to miss him. And they're living in this dynamic. And right in the middle of that, where, kind of where the rope you know, gets pulled with the tug of war, right in the middle, they are committed to continue to be persistent and to be patient, that means enduring, not just like, you know, twiddling your thumbs and not getting frustrated, but they're going to be just, they're, they're not going to lose sight. They're going to endure in a dedication to God's word and spirit. So that's where they're living. It's like this tension and all these things are being maximized. And Paul hears about this and he understands that because he's been in the ministry now for, for a while. And he understands that. And so he tries to go visit them two times. And he actually mentions that in his letter in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. He says, I've tried, guys, two times to come. I wanted to be with you personally. I wanted to encourage you. I wanted to walk you through some of this stuff. But he said, on both occasions, the devil hindered me. Paul doesn't blame stuff on the devil unless it's really the devil. So this was a supernatural blockage that said, I'm not going to let you go encourage that church. And so Paul doesn't feel like he can just wait and let things linger. So he sends his protege, Timothy, who later on would become the pastor at Ephesus. And he writes two letters to him in the New Testament. He sends his protege, Timothy, with the first letter. And then Paul's praying and, and you know, Timothy comes back and he finds out, you know, they're doing okay, but they're kind of struggling. And Paul just can't wait anymore. And and so two, two weeks later, Paul writes a second letter. That never happens in the New Testament. Usually there's a big period of time and maybe Paul's even visited. And, but two weeks later, he writes another letter. And the whole emphasis of 2 Thessalonians is to strengthen their faith. He's not dealing with any big doctrinal errors in the church. He's not dealing with deep moral sin. He's just dealing with a group of people who are committed to the word of God and the Holy Spirit. But they're being pulled they're being stretched. I mean, it's challenging. It, it's it's mind-boggling. They're like, we don't know what to do. And so he writes this, both letters, really, but the second letter to strengthen their faith and to help balance some of their Christian living in light of the fact that Christ is going to return, because even Paul thought it was going to be soon. Christ is going to return. But in the meantime, we're dealing with all this controversy. Now, I wanted you to understand that because Paul's writing to a church 
that is in a very similar situation that we are as the church in America, but even around the world, we're in a similar situation right now. The culture is changing. It's getting really interesting. You, you can't just be a Christian. It's like, yeah, I'm a Christian. Everybody's like, oh, that's cool. In a lot of circles, man, that's hatred. I mean, you're, you're making a statement and, and you're trying to navigate every day. Who do I have conversations with and how do those conversations look? And who do I share, you know, my convictions and my faith with? And who do I say, yeah, this is not a good time to talk? And we're wrestling with all that all the while. It seems like everybody across the board, especially those that have a prophetic bent to them, they're all louder and louder, Jesus is coming soon, Jesus is coming soon, Jesus is coming soon. If you even take a peek at eschatology, which is the study of last times, I mean, we're checking boxes off, like, yep, that has to happen before Jesus comes. We're checking boxes off like every day, or we're at least raising the temperature, because things that are happening are increasing in frequency and intensity. All those things, according to Matthew chapter 24, were all things, pay attention, because when you see these things, oh yeah, it's getting really close. And so they thought it was really close back then. Fast forward 2,000 year, we're 2,000 years closer. And everything that we're watching going on says, I'm telling you, this could happen soon. I mean, we, it, it's possible. Everything, every major thing that had to happen before Jesus returns has happened, just so you know that. We're not waiting for some big thing. Every major thing that the Bible is clear and confirms has to happen, has now happened. Now, that, that wasn't true 50 years ago, but it's true today. And so we're literally right up on the threshold, right up on the doorstep. And, uh, and so Paul's trying to comfort them because when Jesus laid it out in Matthew 24, he said, hey, listen, it's going to be crazy. It's going to be kind of scary. But whatever you do as a Christian, keep your level head, stay with the word of God, and don't let your heart get afraid. Well, listen to me, that, that can be a challenge. There are some people that I don't even want to hear about end times because it just freaks me out inside. Even though I know I'm going to heaven, I don't want to talk about it because it freaks me out. And yeah, I, I get that part. Because to look at, at some of the stuff that's happening, it, it's real. But this is why Paul wrote this letter to this church, because they're in the same place that we are today. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to walk back through these eight verses, 1 through 5, and then 13 through 16. We're going to walk back through these eight verses, and we're going to find three steps that Paul's learning as he's writing this letter to the church. And later on, he'll write more eloquently in Romans and more eloquently in Hebrews and, and some of the other epistles. But he's learning that like boots on the ground, fundamental level, and he's given them, this is just how it works in real life. We're going to see three steps to a more than conqueror strategy. By the way, this particular strategy has both an individual application. So this is what you need to do. But it also has a mandate and an application to a church because we are the body of Christ. So even though we got a lot of people sitting around, we're one unit, one body. And so this strategy is something that as a church that we're mandated to do. And I want you to know as you're listening, we've already committed ourselves. We're not deviating. We've already been through several waves of tests and people and things trying to pull us. And we're like, nope. We're going to stay with the strategy. We're going to keep doing what the Bible says. And up to this point, it has worked exactly like God said. And we don't anticipate that to change because God is faithful to his word. All right, so we're back to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. And uh, we're going to start in verse 1. And I want to make sure you're still with me, right? 
I said, okay, it's better than the first time. It's not just me and Kent this time. So, all right, stay with me. I'm telling you, this is good stuff. All right, so here we go. Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1. Paul starts out and he says, finally. And I'm going to pause already because it's the Greek word loipan, and it literally means this is a summarized, what I'm about to say is a summarizing, some summarizing truths that everything else I've written, and if I'm tracking with Paul, not just in the second letter, but the first letter too, everything else I'm written, I'm going to sum some things up for you right now. And so this word finally is not just kind of, you know, a word you put in there to start a fresh sentence or to start your last paragraph. This is very significant. He says, finally, or in summarization to everything I've talked to you about, he says, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord speed ahead. Now, when you look at that phrase, word of the Lord, it's not just talking about being biblically sound or doctrinally right. This actually means the word that is coming directly from the Holy Spirit real time. So it's not, he says, I want you to pray for us, not just that we're preaching good Bible messages, but that we're preaching Bible messages that are on the Holy Spirit's heart right now that the church needs to hear in the moment. This is like anointed. This is like empowered. This is what the Holy Spirit's saying right now in this moment. He says, I want you to pray for us that we're not just preaching good stuff, but we're preaching Holy Spirit in, in the moment right now stuff. And he says, and I want you to pray that it would speed ahead. And this is a really interesting phrase that we wouldn't recognize easily, but they would have recognized right away. Because this phrase describes a group of brave messengers that during military battles, they would harness all of their physical strength, all of their emotional strength, all of their mental strength, all of their courage and their energy. They would harness it all together, and they would be running through the middle of the battlefield getting shot at and getting, you know, chased and trying to get an important message to the other side of the battlefield so that the communication could happen. And these particular messengers were revered. These were some of the most courageous people in the military, even though they didn't always fight hand-to-hand combat, they were putting themselves on the front line in danger in order to do that. And he's saying, I'm praying I want you to pray for me that the very word of the Holy Spirit would, be, would, would find a courageous and a direct path and would get the right message to the right person at the right place so that that person can win the battle. And so this is not just, you know, sound Bible teaching and, you know, we're just kind of, you know, fundamental. He's saying, no, we're in a war here and this is really important. And notice this. He said, not only pray that the word of the Lord would speed ahead, but that it would be honored. This is the Greek word doxizo, and it's where we get the word doxology, which is, we know is the summarizing glory. And what he's describing here, he, we praying that once that word of the Lord, the one straight from the Holy Spirit, is focused and is moving straight through the middle of the battle, cutting through all the danger, and getting right to the person that needs to hear it so they can win, once it gets there... We want you to pray that the word of God is received, that the word of God finds its place on the inside, and then it begins to blossom, and it begins to introduce a whole new season of signs and wonders and supernatural interventions so that God's word can do exactly what it's supposed to. So we're not just looking for people to come to church, and you're like, ah, I didn't think about the message. Yeah, it was pretty good this morning. It was encouraging. And five minutes later, you're already eating your lunch, and you forgot all about it. He says, no, no, I, I, I'm asking you to pray 
that we receive something from the Lord and we can deliver it with such accuracy and such targetedness that it takes off and cuts through all of the excuses and the confusion and the fear and the frustration and it lands right in the person's heart and explodes with truth and that person walks away changed forever. They'll never think about that again in the same way. They'll never feel defeated. They'll be, they'll be just listening to the, yeah, but the Bible says, yeah, but the word of God says, yeah, but I, man, I felt the Holy Spirit move on me and something will impact them and they'll be strengthened for the battle and they'll be focused and armed with truth. He's saying, I'm asking you to pray this because we're not in, in just, you know, everyday times. These are unusual times. But notice this, he said that the word of God would speed ahead and be honored. Uh, he says, as happened among you. So apparently, when Paul first planted this church, that's exactly what they experienced. This wasn't just kind of a casual, eh, let's just come together because that's what we do on the weekends. God drew people together, and as Paul began to preach the word of God, these guys were hearing something that was catching their attention. It's like, we've never heard anything like that before. And this was exploding in their heart. And as they were embracing and applying it, God's word was doing just what it was supposed to do. And it, it, was, it was bringing about this supernatural change and this supernatural victory. And he said, remember, this is exactly what happened to you. And he said in verse 2, And also pray for us that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men for or because not everyone has faith. Now remember, he's not talking about the world. He said, we're talking to brothers and sisters. Not everybody in the church, not everybody who calls themselves a Christian is really committed to following Christ. And I'm telling you, if you know people like that, or if you are a person like that, this is a very dangerous and slippery time to stay in that condition. Because the world will pull harder and harder. And even if you don't on the outside make a decision to walk away, the undercurrents will cause a drift. And you'll wake up one day and realize, how did I get way over here? And he's going to talk about that in just a minute. Because I grew up believing that. And somehow I'm waking up one day and my life is over here. And I realize I have drifted a long ways away. This is the culture and the times we're living in. So were they. And he, so he says, I'm asking you to pray for us too. We're not immune to that. Pray that the Holy Spirit would walk us right through and deliver us from wicked and evil men because not everybody who says that they have faith, who says that they believe, not everybody has faith. And he says, we need to understand. So here we go. Three steps. Here's the first step then. The first step for you to, uh, to have a more than conquer strategy for God to turn you into more than conquer. And that's just not a cute inspirational thing. I'm telling you, this is real. I've lived this out in my life. When I was in my college years, this is the stuff that changed me, caught a hold of me, and literally began to transform me and, and help me to understand this is real. This is like a contract with God, which is what we're going to study. And the more I lean in and start living the way he said and expecting him to do what he said, he comes through and it does it more than what I thought he said. And I've experienced this for 30-something years now. I'm telling you this is real. And here's the first step. You have to commit yourself to the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. I don't mean just in words. I don't mean you say the sinner's prayer and, whoo, good, and glad I'm not going to the bad place and I'm going to the good place. I mean you, you begin to commit yourself and say, Lord, I don't know where to start. 
I don't know what this means, but okay, I'm committed to you and I'm going to begin to listen to the word of God. I'm going to begin to do the best I can as the Holy Spirit takes it and runs through the battlefield and gets it into my heart and it begins to grow. I'm going to take that and say, okay, then, then let, let's start doing that. Let's do better. And the Holy Spirit will help you. But you have to commit yourself to the word of God. And this is really important because, again, this is written 60 years after the New Testament church was birthed. And so Paul is also, he, he's writing uh, letters to, to this young protege, Timothy, about this other church. And Paul begins to recognize the Holy Spirit's talking to him more. And listen to what he describes in 1 Timothy chapter 4. He says, now the Spirit expressly says, or in other words, pointedly says, he's not just kind of casually throwing out words. He's being very intentional, very meticulous about what he's about to say. The Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith. If you study the word some, it means not just a few. There's going to be big groups. There's going to be people that all of a sudden were serving the Lord, and you lose touch, and the next time you get a hold of them, you're like, what happened? And they're all the way somewhere else. They will depart from the faith. The word depart literally means they will drift. It's not I woke up one morning, oh, I don't believe in Jesus. But little by little, they'll compromise until the point that this doesn't mean anything to them anymore. And they'll, and they'll drift. And he said, not just a few people, there's going to be big groups of people that will do that. And here's why, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Now, doctrines of demons are the, these, it's like these stories, these narratives, these series, these studies, and they're so well put together that they actually make sense. And they might even be easier to understand the culture. They're packed up in kind of cultural language. And you're like, I totally get that. That's totally how I feel. And, and you're being seduced. You're being like, come on, come on, just a little more, a little more. But you're leaving the fundamental truths of the word of God because something else is being peddled and it's being peddled very well. And this something else is drawing you in. Notice, and then he talks about the people that are selling this. They're speaking lies in hypocrisy and they've had their own conscience seared with a hot iron. And so they don't even believe the word of God anymore. They started, this is where they went to school, this is where they studied to be in ministry perhaps, but they don't even believe this stuff anymore. Somewhere along the lines, it, like they don't even feel guilty about not believing it anymore. They've convinced themselves about something else. Listen to me, what he's saying is, even back then in Thessalonica, the church at large was being corrupted. And I don't have to tell you to look very far. We're experiencing it now. If you're looking at any of the stuff that's happening in the church, particularly in America, but around the world, there are whole denominations that are denying the scriptures, that, that are just walking away and saying, yeah, we used to believe that, but, that, but that's kind of old school that we don't think that's, we're evolved now. We're woke and they're going a different direction. And I don't just mean, you know, a couple, you know, people that are kind of out there. I mean, whole denominations are doing this. And this is exactly what Paul said was going to happen. The Holy Spirit told him it was going to happen in the last days. We're in the last days. Let me fast forward three years. Now we're in this book of 2 Timothy. And in, in uh, verse, chapter 3, starting in verse 1, this is what he says. But know this, that in the last days. Now he uses a different Greek term. So now he's talking about before it was, it was as we, we kind of get deeper into this last period of history. But now he's talking about the last days. And he uses a term that means the very last of the very last of the very last days. So this is like the final clicks of the clock. 
when we get deep into this thing, we're going to see it become so intense and so accelerated that he says in the very, very last days, he said perilous times will come. And the word perilous is only used two times in the New Testament. It means really dangerous. I mean like scary, like you don't even know if you should go out of your house. But it's interesting because when you read what causes all of this danger and this peril, it's not because, you know, people are rioting in the streets and it's not that. He describes what's happened in the heart of people at large and why now it's so easy for them to disregard the value of civility, to disregard the value of human life. And it really connects back to what he said three years earlier, because the word of God's being compromised. And when the word of God's compromised and people are drifting, then the heart starts growing darker and darker. That's what he talked about in Romans chapter one. It, it's, a, it's an unavoidable downward spiral. Your heart just begins to get darker and more shadowy. And he describes what this dangerous time looks like. He says, it's dangerous because or for men and women, by the way, will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money. They'll be boasters. They'll be proud. They'll be blasphemies. They'll be disobedient to parents. They'll be unthankful. They'll be unholy, which means nothing sacred anymore. There's no dignity. You can talk about anything, you can crack any joke you want, and it doesn't matter who you're with, Uh, there's no dignity, it's everything's unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, and let me just pause, everything up to this point, you're like, yeah, we can totally get it, that's bad. I mean, that's bad stuff. I, don't, I, don't, I get around nervous when I'm around people like that. Those are thugs. Those are criminals, right? Those are, those are the, the deplorables, and I don't want to be around those kind of people. But listen to what he says, the very last thing. He says, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Oh, well, that one doesn't sound super dangerous. But it's, the, it's not the lovers of pleasure. It's the lovers of pleasure more or rather than the lovers of God. And notice he says this, having a form of godliness. Now he's talking about the whole list. So these are Christian people. So they come to church and they're saying, yeah, I'm a Christian and praise the Lord. And they're singing songs and, and doing all the right stuff. But in their heart, this is what's really happening. Monday morning, you meet them on the job. You're like, what happened, dude? <laughs> you're like not the same guy at all. What's going on? Because they're, 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 they're two different people. And he said, this is what's going on. He says, and including some people just begin to drift because they just want fun. They want more family time. They want more downtime. They want their freedom. You know, as I only live once, I'm going to do some fun stuff. And and by the way, nothing wrong with that. God sanctions all of that as long as it's not a priority over God. But the culture is going to be where it becomes a priority over God. Where we can kind of, you know, a little bit of this and a little bit of that. By the way, statistically, I'm a pastor, so I know this. Statistically, in the last 30 years, statistics in church uh, attendance in the United States has gone from core, core, att- core members being in church four times a month to core members. Those same core members are now only in church two times a month. And that's okay. That's acceptable. That's the normal now. And he said, yeah, this is exactly what he said would happen. They love their downtime. They love their pleasure. They love their flex more than they love God. I'm not saying they don't love God, but there's a priority here. And he says, listen to this. He said, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. And listen to what he says. And from such people, all of those people, but listen, including that last little group, they're innocent enough. He says, from all of the such people turn away. 
You're like, wow, that doesn't sound very Christian, right? Turn away. What are we talking about? But here's what you need to catch. Paul's trying to say, you can't turn away from something without turning to something else. And what Paul's trying to emphasize that in the last days, especially, it's especially crucial that no matter how popular, no matter how pressurized this cancel culture becomes, you know, no matter how popular the worldview that's anti-God and, and anti-Christ, and no matter how, how much all that happens, the Bible says that we have to stay with the Word of God. E- even if it infiltrates the church, even if it infiltrates our Christian people that we love to hang around with, but we watch them begin to drift and we can't encourage them back, he says, you got to, number one, stay committed to the Word of God. you got to turn away from that drift and you got to turn towards your commitment to the Word of God and you've got to be committed to a church that's teaching and studying the Word of God. More than ever in the last days, this is what Hebrews chapter 10 says, whatever you do, as we see the last days approaching, don't forsake the assembling of yourself together with, with, with your brethren. He says, because you're going to need it. You have to have it. And so it's really important. Now, let me, let me just practically say a couple things in case they've come up on your radar. And I'm not saying this with any other church in mind. I'm really not. I, I just know I hear this conversation all the time and I get it because it's real. But that means if you're going to involve yourself in a commitment to the word of God, and you're going to involve yourself in a church that's committed to the Word of God, that means that when you go to church or when you study, the messages or the studies might not be super lighthearted all the time. They might not just be funny and great stories and, you know, ah, that, was, that was kind of cool. I love when he said that. You know, I thought, hey, that's kind of wild. You know, it, it's not going to be that all the time. Sometimes it will be. But it's not going to be that all the time. Sometimes you're going to have to dig deep into the Word of God to understand what did God really say? How does this actually work? I don't want to feel better. I need to be better. How does this actually work? And that also means that sometimes you're going to have to talk about some tough stuff, and you're going to have to say, by the way, the Bible says that's sin. And, and, and again, our culture doesn't like that. That's going to, well, you're haters. No, no, I'm not hating anybody. I'm just loving God. I'm agreeing with what he said. But, but if you're going to be a committed Christian and you're going to follow, follow so you can be a more than conqueror, this is what it's going to mean. And it also means that the studies are probably going to be a little deeper. If I'm speaking, it'll probably mean the message will be longer. Y'all pray for me because I'm trying to work on that. Uh, but it means it's going to stretch you, right? Because maybe you're used to going somewhere and it's like a 20-minute message and it's kind of fun and you walk out, hey, that was awesome. You know, I went to church. Oh, okay, but, but, but did, you, did, did it do anything for you? I mean, are you stronger now? Are you more than a conqueror? Do you know how to go face the challenges that are accelerating in the world? Because the Bible says we're going to have to study hard to show ourselves ready to arm ourselves so that we can face this stuff. But again, that's how the Bible works. That's how Christianity works. That's what the Holy Spirit's for is to build you up so you can be rock solid. Nothing shakes you. Nothing frustrates you. Nothing confuses you. You just say, I don't know, that man, that's weird. That kind of hits me, you know, hits me all over the place. I need to spend some time. Let me see what the Bible says. Let me, man, the Holy Spirit help me think that one through. And he does. Now we're still in second Timothy because he's taken the first nine verses to talk about the world's perilous and it's gone crazy. Let me just finish what he said. And we'll go back to second Thessalonians. He says this, this is Paul. So the world's gone crazy. He says, but you must, we're in verse number uh, 14. He says, you must continue in the things which you have learned and have been assured of, 
knowing from whom you have learned them. In other words, you're developing relationships, you're in a church, you're trusting the people that are teaching the word of God, that they're really teaching the word of God, he says, and you've got to learn them. You've got to get them on the inside of you. And notice this, and that from childhood, you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. It's amazing to me how many people that I'm meeting these days that were raised in church and now are walking away from the Lord for some other form of the gospel that it's like, you know, you've known all your life, that's not true. You know what the Bible says, and you've known it all your life. And for some reason, you're just ditching everything you ever learned all your life, and now you're running to something because it's super popular, and you don't have to feel weird in conversations, you don't have to be you know, canceled or ridiculed, and you're running towards something, and that's exactly what Paul said don't do. Verse 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. That's that word of the Lord that Paul says pray. It's right out of God's mouth. He says, and it's profitable. Somebody said, yeah, I don't get anything out of the Bible. <laughs> well, I, I'd love to help you to know how to do that, because I'm telling you, the Bible is loaded there's not one word on one page that doesn't have something that will build your life so you can be everything that God wants you to be and that you've always wanted to be. He says it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, so that the man of God would not do bad things but do good things. No. So that the man of God would, and the woman, by the way, would be complete, would be thoroughly equipped for every single good work, and by the way, that's even including or especially including the, the, the work, the life you're going to have to live right here in the last days where times are perilous. See, some Christians think that when it gets super dark, God, you know, God just kind of steps back and says, well, I just want to see if you really love me, if you can survive. That's just not the truth. The darker it gets, the brighter the light is supposed to shine. The harder they try to cover it up, the more it just leaks and penetrates through all the cracks and it shines anyway. That's what, that's what John chapter 1 said they tried to do to the truth of Jesus and they couldn't do it. The more they tried to squash it, the more it just kind of kept shining. And that's exactly what he's trying to say. I'm not talking about just spiritual stuff. I'm talking about every area of your life. God wants you to be an example that the power of God, the word of God, the truth of God, the kingdom of God is far stronger than anything that's going on here all the time. All right up to the last click when Jesus says, all right, come home. Right up into the button. We have a more than conqueror strategy. So number one, uh, you have to commit yourself to the word of God and the Holy Spirit. Number two and three won't take me as long, by the way. Number two, you have to commit yourself to the Lord's care. And that means no fear, no insecurity. I'm not saying it doesn't come. I'm not saying that you don't have to do something with it, but he's going to show you what to do with it. We're back in 2 Thessalonians again. So again, verses 2 through 4, he's like, pray for us that the word of God, you know, uh, it is strong and sure, that it finds its mark, and that we're delivered from wicked and evil men, because not everybody who say they have faith has faith. He says, pray for us that we can see the difference and we can you know, avoid those people that are going to pull us away and stay with those things that are going to move us forward. We're in verse 3. He said, but in spite of all that craziness, he said, the Lord is faithful. I like to say it this way, the Lord is always faithful. This morning, Brittany referenced a scripture in, in uh, I believe it was in 2 Timothy, and it's one of the ones that comes to my mind, I'm telling you, all the time. And it's a scripture that says that God is faithful even when you're faithless because he cannot deny himself. 
Even when you walk away from God because, ah, I'm just too hard. It's like, well, I just don't know. Yeah, but he, he just stays right on the center line. God will never walk away, ever. He runs to the battle. He's up for a fight. He wins every one of them. And if we'll stay with him, then God will say, come on, and just take us right with you. I remember a time when I was a little kid, and uh, we were in a department store, and, uh, and I don't remember what counter we were at, but something. And, uh, and I just reached out, and I kind of started to touch something. And a lady that was working the counter said, don't you touch that. And I was like, whoa. And, and, right, and I just freaked me out, right? And right about that time, I felt my dad's big old, big old hand on my shoulder. And he grabbed me, and he just pulled me around the back. And he looked at that lady, and he said, if you have something to say to this boy, you say it to me. And I felt immediately all the fear and all that, you know, kind of like I had goosebumps everywhere. I was like, oh, I, all that just went away. And I was kind of like peeking around like, yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. But I'll tell you what, it gave me a great picture because that's exactly how God is. Even when you're faithless, God is still faithful. And if you'll stay with him, God will just pull you right around the back and he'll say, I got this. You just stay with me. This is the promise of God. And so he goes on, he says, but the Lord is faithful, and notice how he's faithful. He will establish you, and he will guard you against the evil one. And he says, we even have confidence in the Lord about you. So it's not that we're super confident in you, because we're humans, but we're confident in the Lord about you, because we can see that you're doing, and we know you'll continue to do the things that we commanded. When he says we commanded, Paul's not on an ego trip. He's bringing the instruction from the Holy Spirit. So he's saying, you know, this is what, this is what the Lord's saying. But he's saying, we, we know you're trying. And, and we're confident the Lord's going to be with you, and you're going to keep trying. But notice this in the, in the uh, verse 3. He said, the Lord will establish and strengthen you. The word establish uh, is the word sterazo in the Greek, and it literally means to strengthen something, to keep layering it and compacting it with strength so that it becomes firm, it becomes fixed, and eventually becomes immovable. This is not something you, I mean, you can drive your truck into it. It's like driving your truck into a big oak tree, right? The truck just wraps around and the oak tree just still standing there. And it says, this is what the Lord will do with your life and with my life as we build ourselves up in the word of God. I don't care what storm comes. I don't care what comes to challenge you. You will be firm and not move and, and immovable. But not only did he say he was going to establish you, he said he was going to guard you. This is the Greek word philoso, and it's a military term. And it was it's such a great study when I saw what, what the term means. It literally means to, to take somebody into custody. And then once you have them in custody, again, this is a military term, then you swear to your commanding officer, don't worry, I'll keep them safe. And this is what God says with you. Once you've given him your life, the Holy Spirit takes custody of your life, pulls you around the back and says, listen, you don't have to worry. I got you. I'm, I'm going to guard and protect you. So first I'll establish you and build you up so you're super strong. And then I'll say, okay, now I'm going to take you into custody and I'll pull you around the back so that nothing will hurt you. I will guard you and protect you from the evil one. So again, our first strategy is you've got to commit yourself to the word of God and the Holy Spirit because that's what will build you up. The second strategy is you have to commit yourself to the Lord's care. You have to know God really is paying attention. God really is watching you. So many scriptures that we talk about and read, we just don't register the truth of that. Psalm 23. 
That the fact the Lord's our shepherd, that he's guarding and watching us, that he leads us in these paths of righteousness that sometimes takes us through the valley of the shadow of death. It's like, oh, it feels like I'm not going to make it out of here. And God says, yeah, I think this is a good place for lunch. What do you think? Because he ain't scared of those enemies. And right in the middle of your most challenging situation, God says, come here, I want to show you something. Let me tell you something I'm going to do. Psalm 91 says, whoever stays in the secret place of the Most High abides underneath the shadow of the Almighty. I think about, again, that that department store thing. My dad pulls me around, and I'm in his shadow now. I'm like right behind him. And he says, a thousand people may fall at your side and 10,000 at your right hand, but it won't touch you. Because... You've put your trust in the Lord Most High. Listen to me, this, this stuff is real. That's not just a poem. That's not just, you know, poetic language. This is real. When times get dangerous, we learn to tuck ourselves up around uh, underneath the Lord, and we realize, I don't care what's really happening. God promised that he would establish me, and then he would take me into custody, and he would guard me. I, I belong to him. And he says, I won't let anything happen to you. This is a promise of the Lord. So the first one, commit yourself to the word and the Holy Spirit. The second, commit yourself to the Lord's care. Here's number three, and we're bringing it home. Commit yourself to the Lord's work. We're not talking about just finding a place to serve in church, although that's a great place to get started, and that's all over other places in the Bible that we should be involved in God's body and in God's kingdom. But listen to 2 Thessalonians. Uh, Again, we're in chapter 3 still. We're going to read verse 5, and then we're moving to verse 13. Uh, In the first few verses, Paul says, pray for me. Pray for me that the word of God accurately can be delivered swiftly and can find its landing place and do what it's supposed to be. And pray for us to be able to navigate and be delivered from people who say they're Christians, but they're not really Christians. Uh, They're really just, you know, they're compromising. Pray, Pray that we don't get all tangled up in that stuff. But now in verse number five, Paul's praying for them. And here's what he says. He says, may the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Now, again, this is where understanding what was going on in the the Thessalonian church is important and understanding what's happening with us is really important. Because remember, they were going through this intense persecution, this cancel culture back in their day that was really pressuring them to leave the truths of God's word and to just, just kind of blend more into the culture. You don't have to be always so, you know, churchy guy. You don't have to do that. And not only that, but 2 Timothy chapter 3 said that when we get into the last of the last days, which we're in, he said there's going to be this pull and it's going to be very sneaky and very deceptive. <clears throat> But there's going to be this pull that is pulling you away from the things of God if it's not pulling you into those really bad areas that are obvious where you're rebellious and you're unholy, undignified. If it's not pulling you into those, then it's for sure trying to pull you into being a lover of pleasure at the expense of being a lover of God. Doing things that are fun, doing things that may be good, but they're not good for you. At least not in the proportion that you're doing them. And so because they're going through all this, Paul's praying for them. He said, but I'm praying that not only would the Lord establish you and guard you, but I'm praying that he would direct your hearts away from the drift and direct your heart back towards the love of God and to the things that are strong and steadfast in Christ. Verse 13 now, he says, as for you brothers, he said, do not grow weary in doing good. 
And there's a lot of people in the body of Christ that, man, they have. They're just committing themselves. They're trying to do the right thing. But in our current culture, like it was back then, it looks like the right thing is losing. It looks like every time you turn around, the people that are, that are moving away from God are the ones that are winning all the victories. That it seems like things are getting worse, not better. And Paul says, even in the middle of that environment, whatever you do, don't grow weary in well-doing. In the book of Hebrews, he says the same thing. And he says, if you don't grow weary in well-doing, you'll reap the harvest. It will come. God's faithful. He'll bring you the harvest if you don't quit. But the temptation to say, I forget it. It's not working. Why, why am I trying to be the person always doing the right thing when obviously I'm the guy, you know, the nice guys finish last? He says, don't buy into that. Stay steadfast in the love of God, steadfast in the truth of God's word. And he says, do not grow weary in doing good. And verse 14 is kind of, and, and 15 is the climax. He says, and if anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, remember Paul's not on an ego trip. He's saying, I'm speaking for the Lord. So if anybody's not obeying what the Holy Spirit's saying through us, he said, uh, take note of that person and listen, have nothing to do with them that he or she may be ashamed. Well, they're not ashamed because you stopped being their friend. They're ashamed because you're doing the right thing and it'll pay off and you'll be more than a conqueror and they're not doing the right thing. And listen, that'll pay off. I'm just telling you, I've been on the earth long enough. I'm 58 years old. And so I've been here for a minute. I've been around the block enough times, and I've been around the block as a pastor. I've sat with people in their worst moments of crisis. And I've watched over the long haul, those people that stayed with the word of God, it was hard at times, and it was exhausting at times, and sometimes they fought discouragement. How come everybody else is getting ahead and having all the fun, and we're not here, we are just serving the Lord. But you, you, know, you measure that over a period of time, measure that over a year, or five years, or even ten years, and you find something out. Those people that stayed faithful to the Lord, the Lord stayed faithful to them. And they just kept coming up, and up, and up, and up, and they were just straight ahead. And those people that took all kinds of shortcuts, not so much. Maybe they have a great business, but they're on their third marriage. <clears throat> and their kids don't want to talk to them anymore. And they've got so much compromise and so much of the world in them that the things that they used to know when they were younger as a child, those are just a distant memory anymore. I'm telling you, these are those last very dangerous, dangerous days. And God says, I want you to be afraid. I want you to win. I want you to take the day. I want you to get up every morning and saying, we're going to do this thing because God's promised me he's going to do it. He said, but I'm telling you how to do it. And one of the, one of the ways is you're going to have to be willing to work and commit to the Lord. And if people are, are, are living a different lifestyle, they, they're not your focus anymore. Now, listen, he, he finishes that off because some of you are thinking, well, so I'm supposed to be a jerk. Just say, yeah, I'm unfriending you from everything. And you know, I'm not, not going to return your texts or your calls. And it's not what he says. Listen to this. He says, take note of that person, have nothing to do with him that he or she may be ashamed. Verse 15, do not regard him or her as an enemy. Now, it's not what we're asking you to do, but warn him as a brother. So it's saying, listen, you, you got to love the Lord enough and be in the Lord's service enough that when people begin to drift that you know and love, you, you got to be able to say, hey, can, can we grab some coffee real quick? And you got to sit down and say, this is going to be kind of weird, man. I don't even know if you're going to like what I'm saying, but... Um, what's going on? Now I don't see you in church. 
what I'm hearing coming out of your mouth, that's not the person that we, you know, we, that, we, I, that I knew. You're not serving the Lord anymore. You're drifting. And, and they may not like it. They may get super defensive. Maybe you become the hater. Maybe you get canceled. I don't know. But here's what the Bible says. We, we are responsible to hold that light and hold that standard and help rescue other people that are caught in this undercurrent and they don't even know it. In fact, last scripture, and I'll, I'll end, and, and I'm going to jump over to another thing Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5.20. He says, now then we, people that are not, only, not just Christians in name, but are really following the Lord, we're ambassadors for Christ. We're literally kingdom representatives. You have an official governmental duty in the kingdom of God. You may not know that. Well, I'm not a pastor. No, every Christian is. We have an official role in the kingdom of God. And we, and we all say, yeah, we got a house in, in heaven somewhere. And you do. Our name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And it is. We're going to live forever in eternity. And you are. We're a government official. Wait, what? You're, you're a government official for the kingdom of God right now. It says you're ambassadors of Christ. And listen to me. It says, as though God were pleading through us. That word pleading is parakaleo, and it means literally on your hands and knees begging. And it says, we implore you. The word implore you is another word for beg, but it's stronger. It means you've gone from one level of begging to now you're just, you're wrapping your arm. Please, please. And you just, you've got to listen to me. You're desperate. It says, we're pleading that God is pleading through us. We're employing you on Christ's behalf be reconciled to God. Come on, man. You got to come back. I'm telling you, Jesus is coming. I'm telling you, even if he doesn't come, the path you're on is not going to lead you to winning. You're going to get sucked in by all the corruption that's happening in the world, and this is not going to be a good journey for you, but God wants you to win. He wants you to be strong and confident and be more than a conqueror, and this is the message the New Testament has for us. We're going to kind of walk through in this next series about how to do that. But I want you to know, this is, this is not, you know, the, it's not just a religious system. God means what he says, and God wants you to win. He wants you to be strong. I don't mean cheap, you know, that cheap kind of grace. And I mean, God wants you to be a dependable, strong, trustworthy, honorable, courageous person that I don't care what, what happens when you turn on the news in the morning, it doesn't shake you. You're like, yeah, but I belong to a kingdom, and I serve a king that is so far above all of that. And he promised he would establish me. He promised he'd take me into custody and he'd pull me around the back and he would protect me. I know it might happen to all these other people, but it's not going to touch me because God gave me his word. This is real. And this is how the people in the Bible lived. And this is how God's challenging us to live. Stand to your feet this morning. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for more messages. If you like what you're hearing, share it with your friends. For more content from Lakeshore and information on services, check us out at lakeshorecf.com.